to go for, you know, too much precision can hurt you. What you're looking for most of the time is situational awareness, not a number. Once people get to numbers, then they start thinking they can calculate stuff. You know, having a number does not make the estimate any more useful. And calculating based on a garbage number gives you garbage. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Cucumber Podcast. I'm Matt Wynn, and I'm joined by my colleague, Seb Rose, and um, we've got a special guest, George Dunwiddie. George has been a, a friend of Cucumber for a really long time. Um, done, we've done lots of stuff together, um, and, but recently, George uh, published a book about software estimation. So um, we like to get any uh, anyone who's published a book about software anyway, because it's interesting talking about um, how the writing process has been even. Um, but because uh, we know what a, what a hard piece of work it is to write a book, but specifically software estimation is such an interesting topic. Um, and so but that's what we're going to spend this episode getting into is just learning all about what George has, um, has been writing about in that book. Um, George, do you want to tell the folks at home a little bit about like why you uh, you're worth listening to? I guess about software estimation. I mean, you've been in software for a, for a long time, right? What was the kind of earliest yeah. system that you worked on? So I uh, I actually got into software by way of hardware development. Um, so I, as a as a kid, I had an interest in electronics, and. Uh, even though I didn't pursue that in college, then um, uh, back around 1980, then I got a job as a, an engineering technician um, developing modems. And that was fascinating stuff. And this was at the, you know, microprocessors were new then. Um, we were actually developing a, um, a filter, modem filter, that, you know, self-equalizing <clears throat> all done with digital signal processing. It was fascinating stuff. And um, that kind of led me into software. You know, we this was basically a custom processor that we were programming in, in um, directly in microcode. Um, but then, you know, there was a processor around it and this stuff was pretty fascinating. And uh, I eventually built a CPM computer and got into programming um, uh, the uh, code to run machines, embedded systems on 8-bit microprocessors. And it's been, uh, it's been a, an exhilarating ride since then. Microcode. So were these, were these like steam-powered computers, George, or did they run on electricity? <laughs> they ran on electricity, but you had to wind them up. <laughs> I think possibly, Matt, you're you're the odd one out having not worked with microcode. Yeah, I don't I don't know what any any of that means. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but was it easier to make estimates in those days, George? Well, I, early on, I learned uh, something, and this was not not about software, but uh, about doing hardware tasks. I was a technician, so I might be given a task to wire wrap a board, something like that and or draws a schematic of something from a block diagram. <clears throat> and then the, somebody come by and say, well, you know, how are you coming on that? Oh, I'm half done. And so then the next day they come by 
And, you know, I realized, well, you know, I was a little optimistic on that first day when I said I was half done. So they'd ask me and I'd say, oh, I'm 75% done. And then the next day I start getting a little more worried and, you know, I might say 80% done. 85, 90, 95, uh, 97, uh, 98 and a half, uh, 99. <laughs> so I, I learned very early that these uh, percentage estimates are tough because you know how far you've done, but you don't know what's left to do yet. That's a serious challenge. And it's not just in hardware or software. Um, Matt, you've been making some sonars and buildings and things like that. And I'm sure it's similar problems have cropped up with you with those projects as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing I think is interesting is um, we know how hard it is to estimate software projects, but actually when you work with other trades, like we've had a lot of, you know, I mean, I did building projects myself at home as a kind of hobby, but also we employ tradespeople to do renovation projects and things always take them longer than they hope that they will. An estimate seems to tend to be like your kind of idealized version of the thing, never encountering any risks, any any surprises. Um, and, and yeah, things always end up taking... They, they, they hardly ever take less time, right? Um, they almost always take longer and it's just a matter of how much longer but i'm not the expert on estimates here it's george so george you've you've got an excellent example in your book uh, where you talk about um booking a car with a a rattle into the auto shop into the garage uh, and they give you a a, a low quote uh, and say it'll be ready by the end of the day because it's they're just going to fiddle with the valves or something it didn't it didn't turn out like that in that story if i remember rightly right um, and, and th- this is a true story too. It was my car. <laughs> and, and so, you know, when I bought the car, I knew it had a loose valve. What I didn't know is why the valve was loose. And so they took it apart to, to adjust the valve and they found out that, that the whole assembly was coming loose. It, the bolts had stripped out. And so it was considerably more work to put it, you know, fix it right. Um, and so, you know, you estimate based on, on what you know and what assumptions you have. And if those assumptions aren't correct or there's something you, and there's something you don't know, uh, it's easy for them to be wrong. And of course, like you say, it's, it's easier for there to be delays than there is for time savings. Though sometimes that happens too, you know. In software, you might say, oh, this is going to take take a week. And then you find, oh, there's a library here that I can use that does what I want, exactly what I want. All I have to do is import that library. These things do happen occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing that, that causes so much trouble in estimation is that people people confuse estimates and plans. So... So yeah, it's it's fine to say estimate this is going to take this long. But maybe you don't want to plan on it taking this long. That seems risky. Because how often do you do something where you don't learn something you didn't expect along the way? Well, yeah, I often I think we often say that software development is a learning process. So 
you always know more at the end of the developing a piece of code than you knew at the beginning of developing it. So you should plan on that happening. And so even though you don't know what you're going to learn, you should plan on there being surprises along the way. And most of the time, those surprises are going to eat time. So you should plan on plan on the unexpected. So, but yeah. how 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 do you plan? Because essentially, what you're talking about is contingency. And how do you mm-hmm. how do you go about, or how do you recommend people should go about uh, sizing that element of contingency? So, for instance, on a lot of um, physical jobs, you know, a company will have a standard. We'll factor in a ten percent or a twenty-five percent contingency in this. Do you have a similar rule of thumb, or do you have or, an or a rule of thumb where you take the developer's estimate and then just double it? Exactly. Oh, you, you, you're so optimistic. I mean, I learned early on that you multiply it by three. <laughs> this is why we use story points because they're abstract of time, and we can base right. them on yeah. So if you've if you've got you know a background of somewhat similar projects, then you can kind of look back on those and say, well, you know, how much came up that we didn't expect before and use that as a guideline. You can also look at at contingency buffers as as a budget rather than um, something that you're trying to estimate. Say, okay, you know, it looks looks like this project's going to take six months, but um, that's six months based on on, you know, our assumptions, which tend to be pretty rosy. So let's set up a plan for nine months, and that gives us three months of buffer. And if we don't need it, people probably won't be upset with us if we're ready to release early. So that's interesting, because on the flip side, I frequently, I don't believe this, by the way, but I frequently hear people say that you have to put teams under pressure to get them to respond uh, and take take their job <laughs> seriously. So um, have you ever worked with people like that? Oh, yeah. But, you know, there's different kinds of pressure. The better kind of pressure is just the desire to, to create something. And that's enough to, you know, that gets people working way more uh, uh, consistently than trying to use a whip does. It's right. just... But there's something missing here, though, because we're talking about estimating how long it's going to take developers to do a piece of work. But what about estimating the value to the organization of that work being done? Yeah. Because those two things need to have a relationship, right? And in my experience, we overdo our effort on the former and we drastically underdo our effort on the latter. Nobody really looks at business value in, in any kind of rigorous way, but we look at um, developer estimation in extreme detail in a lot of cases. We really overdo that. And often, isn't it, isn't it the case really that what we're, when we're trying to get an estimate for a project, really we want to do that because we want to try and work out the cost-benefit because we've got some sense of the business value and we're like, is it worth me investing six months in this thing to get back this business value that I perceive? Well, that's true, but I don't think you need a lot of precision for that. Um, I don't think you need a lot of precision on, on either side to, to make that cost benefit, you know, check the cost benefit ratio because 
um, typically when you're when you're looking at the at things from that point of view, then there's three answers. Then there's no problem. You know, the benefit of this is so great that that you know this is well worth it. Or the second one is no way. You know, this is so this is going to be so much work that will the benefit will never be worth the amount of work. Or it's really close. Yeah. And we don't know. So um, in my experience as a developer is that it's, I, I quite like being in a in working in a budget. So agreeing a budget for a for a piece of work and saying, okay, this is worth investing two weeks in or or, or three months in or whatever, uh-huh. and then seeing how far we can get, rather than the question being the other way around. Yeah, um, and and it, that's the way it, spikes yeah, it, are always are. Is you, again. spikes spike development? You know, right, oh, we've yeah. got a question to answer. We don't know what the answer is going to be, and we don't know how long it might take us to answer it. But yeah. we've got a question, and we can only um, answer it by building something. So we decide how much we want to invest, and if we reach the limit of how you know, a uh, week, two weeks, day, whatever it is, and we still don't have an answer, well, then we can say, oh, do we want to invest more on this, or do we want to try something different? Of course, if we reach an answer earlier, then you know we're within budget, and we just take that answer and go with it. So, so we said there. So, estimating might be one reason we might need estimates is to help us to kind of decide whether to go ahead with a project or or um, or not. What are the other reasons why we need estimates? Why do we need estimates at all? What are they for? Well, so there's some other things. You know, even from the beginning, uh, if you're try- if you're producing a product for sale, then particularly something that you have to ship that, you know, isn't just available on, on the web. You may need to coordinate with other people to do, you know, marketing materials, uh, advertising, um, and that, you know, that coordination matters. They need some lead time before you, you get to the end, but you don't want to start marketing it too early. So these things have to come together. That's a, that's a tough integration point sometimes. So there may be promise for a car huh or if you're building software for a car yeah and you have to integrate with the hardware yeah. right um and there are ways of working so that you you can do more continuous integration um it's uh you know that it takes some ingenuity sometimes but there are ways to help with that but the problem still exists so there may be coordination with other people um coordination with the users you know, in large organizations, if, if you're going to roll out a new version of some software they use internally, you can't just spring it on them. You have to you have to train all those users on how the new system works. Um, you know, it's easy for software developers to think, oh, well, it's intuitively obvious. They'll come in and they'll just see it. But that's never true. So they have to train it. You have to develop training materials. You have to... to uh, you know, the trainers have to understand what it is uh, and, and how to train it, bring them up to speed. So that there's always a lot of parallel efforts that have to come together at some point. Another re- reason um, uh, is that you might, once you get started in a project, 
Then you want to see, how's it going? Are we on track? And, and that may be more important than, you know, whatever the, uh, the, you know, the estimate was that you gave originally for how long and how it was going to take and how much it was going to cost, you know, have we, are we lost in the weeds here? Are we, you know, is this growing on us? You want to know that. So, so rechecking estimates as a way of uh, seeing whether whether the, the work has the gone work has gone off track. Well, well, I've come to look at it in terms of com- comparing. You know, one, you don't want to just estimate the project as a whole. You know, because you don't know that that's wrong until you get to the end. <laughs> you know, and that's a little late to do anything about it. Um, the uh, but you, so you want to have some waypoints along the way so you can say, oh, we thought this was going to take us a month. It's been a month and, you know, we've still got a bunch to do here. So you can look at that and say, you know, what, what, what assumptions did we make in thinking this would take a month that turned out not to be right? And have we made those assumptions in our other estimates for the rest of the project? And you can you can calibrate things on that. Yeah, this is this is why story points were, you know, popular was because it's easier to calibrate when it's not based on time. Uh, you know, you start calibrating and say, well, well, you know, one day is really two and a half days. Then people get confused because you're used to using the same units of measure, <laughs> and they mean different things. Knowing how far along you are, you know, that's important, you know, not only for adjusting your expectations, but adjusting the expectations of the people around you, too. They need to to know that, you know, the people paying for it may say, oh, this is going slower than I wanted. We might not, you know, this is putting us at risk, say, for hitting the Christmas market. And if it's not done in time for Christmas... Well, you know, then uh, we've got another year before it's really worth doing. So maybe we want to cancel this and do something, something easier for this Christmas, so that we have some income. Yeah, and, and that's an important question which we see play out over and over again. And uh, so Matt's already talked about this tension between business value uh, and you know, cost of development. Uh, does it lead to people gaming their, you know, gaming their estimates as both of value and of effort involved to try and get to uh, their desired outcome? So basically, do they do they fix the way they do the input so that they get the decision uh, that they were looking for in the end anyway? Well, there's all sorts of political games you can play, um, you know, to try to fool other people or fool yourself. Um, I try not to get too deeply into that in the book because, um, one, everybody's already familiar with these sorts of things. And two, if, if there's something that I've seen that, that somebody else had, and I didn't want to give them any ideas. <laughs> Very good point. But yeah, you know, the, I, try I try to come, to come at it from the point, point of view of, uh, we, we want, want this project, project to succeed. succeed. And, and not, not just, just 
Oh, oh I, I want, want to, to look good, good at, at the expense, expense of other people, people in the organization. organization. So do you, is, is there any ever a time when you don't provide estimates when asked for them? Or is that are estimates an essential part of every engagement that you've, you've worked you've worked through? Well, so it comes when you when you're asked for an estimate, then I think it's important to know how this estimate's intended to be used. Um, you know, you, you may want an estimate. Is this feasible? Yeah. Can we do this at all? Uh, or you may want an estimate. Can we do this by this date? And those are different sorts of estimates. When you're, you know, when people are estimating how much fits into the next sprint, well, there you want sort of a nominal value, because you don't care if it's over one time and under the next. You can handle that. What you want is for it to be approximately right, so that you're choosing approximately the right amount of work, so that overall you have a smooth flow of work. And. A lot of the problems come when, when people are estimating with one use in mind and the estimate gets used for something different. And even worse, when it gets used for a plan. Because then you get people trying to put the buffer into the estimate rather than the plan. And then that leads to people saying, oh, no, it won't take that long and try to start negotiating rather than estimating. That's an interesting contrast, isn't it? Negotiating and, and estimating because, uh, well, you said you didn't want to get into politics too much, but, but that's absolutely where a lot of corporate or at least departmental politics happens when then negotiating for resources negotiating for budget. Uh, and when your boss comes to you and asks you, for, well, I'm going to speak from personal experience. When people have come to me and asked for estimates, and I've asked them the question, what are you using this estimate for? And they've absolutely sworn that they will never use it to hold me to a particular delivery date and it won't go into a plan. I know, I know now that that's, that sort of assurance is not worth the air that it was carried on. Because as soon as you give a date or a time, time span, somebody, even somebody will interpret it as be a delivery date. Yeah, it comes around that people are human, aren't they? That, 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 that's, that's human nature. It's interesting you talk about two types of re reason there, George. So the one where we're going to check if a project is feasible um, and the one where we're going to see whether what yeah, see whether we could get something done by a particular date. I mean, I remember working on a system once um, that was, it was for a TV app for the, the Olympics. And that really had to ship on a particular date. Like it was going to be useless if it, if it didn't ship on that date. But the thing that was interesting there was all we did on that project was prioritize. Like we were going to build something and we were going to ship something. It was just a matter of like, what was the next most important thing to get in? And actually estimating didn't play a big part in that work because it was much more about just what's the what's the next most important thing to put in or the next most valuable thing to put into this to the system um and i just i still can't help thinking that we get too obsessed with trying to control the work by trying to estimate it um rather than thinking about what's the next what's the next most important thing what's the thing to do next week 
Do you, do you not think that that happens a lot of times and that estimates are kind of a distraction almost from, from doing the work that matters? Well, I think the estimates are, are there anyway. Uh, when you started that project, then you had already just informally estimated that you could deliver something valuable in time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that right, was so that feasibility estimate had been done and somebody had passed, it, had passed that test, yeah. Right. Now, as you're doing it and you're trying to make priority decisions, what do we want to do next? Then, you know, some people say, oh, just do that on the value. But, um, you know, there could be a huge difference in the amount of effort it takes between doing one yeah. thing and the other. And so, so you might want to have some sense of that. Yeah. But you cannot control the work with estimates. You know, the estimates do not change reality. Um, and th this is one of the things that I always say is, is when, when reality, when the actuals and the estimates disagree, believe the actuals, <laughs> you know, this, that, that's the truth. You may not like it. It may be for reasons that, that, uh, you don't understand that it took longer, but it's the truth. Yeah. That's kind of another one there then, isn't it? Is, is in estimates in helping us to prioritize because the, the, the priority of a piece of work is, a, is a, some function of its, of its value and the complexity of, or the cost of doing it. So, so we want to do the things that are going to be cheap to do and high value, and we don't want to do things that are going to be low value and expensive to do. So we want right. to prioritize the, yeah. But you may only need to estimate to an order of magnitude there. Yeah. So this is an interesting thing. So so the, the fidelity of what we're estimating, right, is is something we should be concrete about because you've talked a lot about project scope. You talked about six months, nine months. I think day-to-day -day estimation work that most people who are listening to this podcast get involved in is probably your sort of planning poker style estimation where they're looking at, I mean, and and let me say, I really hope nobody's still having to live through this, but the that scrum style of thing where you do task hours estimation, where you're really looking at nitty gritty detail of how long every little piece of work is going to take. I mean, what, what's your view on this, George, about where the sort of, um, where the line is about where things start to become more work than is worth putting in account? What's the, what's the pithy phrase for that? You're basically wasting your time. You don't need that much precision, you know, and, and paradoxically, the more precision you get, sometimes the less accuracy you have. There's the uh, what's called the coastline paradox. So what is this? If you follow around the coastline of uh, Great Britain and, you know, measure along the shoreline, how long is it to go all the way around the island? And that depends on how long your ruler is. If you're, you know, if you're measuring it with, uh, you know, a ruler that's a mile long, you'll get one answer. If you're measuring it with a ruler that's an inch long, well, then you're going to take into account a lot more little nooks and crannies, and it's going to be a bigger number. So trying to go for, you know, too much precision can hurt you. You, you really need to, to, what you're looking for most of the time is situational awareness not a number. You know, the number, once people get to numbers, then they start thinking they can calculate stuff. And, right. 
you know, having a number does not make the estimate any more useful. Uh, calculating based on a garbage number gives you garbage. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting um, because, uh, you know, I totally, I totally agree with the, the garbage in, garbage out, you know, um, uh, metaphor that you just described. Uh, and I really enjoyed reading your book because it covered a lot of interesting topics and it wasn't prescriptive, it was, it was a descriptive book. Um, what, but one thing that surprised me was given uh, the quite the, the prevalence of this, a technique known as no estimation over the past mm, five, ten years, I don't think there was any mention of that in your text at all. And I, I wondered, is that... Is that because it you don't it doesn't fit in with software estimation, or because the, is is there something else that that we should know about no estimates? Well, so that's not my term, and I don't want to define it for other people. And okay. in many conversations, then I've never been able to to uh, you know get a um, a real definition of it. Um, you know, I've had it said, oh. We're just trying to encourage people to ask questions, but they only want certain kinds of questions. <laughs> they don't want questions about, well, what do you t what do you tell the managers who who have a need? Oh, they don't have a need, and and this is the sort of thing that that got me, you know, deciding that I needed to write this book, is because it's not just, you know, it's not just you know mean managers mistreating software developers. It goes both ways. Uh, and so the people issues, are, you know, get really ugly sometimes in both directions. Pe people mistreating each other, blaming each other. And that is more destructive than anything else about estimates. Yeah, well, this is a, the reason I think estimates are so interesting because they, they can become a kind of a, a lodestone, like a vehicle for all kinds of other toxicity and dysfunction in the relationships between people and 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 you know what one great example of that is where people will confuse an estimate with a commitment or a plan and then basically force people who are less powerful than them in in the organizational hierarchy to to make their actuals meet the meet the, the meet that estimate meet that plan um, even if it means them having to work long hours or or cut corners in the quality of the code that they're writing, um, that's that's sort of one one example um, I see. I mean, it it strikes me that this often comes down to a kind of a trust issue. So I certainly have worked in places where the the question of how long is that going to take stopped being asked nearly so often once the team was able to produce valuable software on a really regular basis on a really regular rhythm so you know when once we were deploying to production every day and the lead time became very short for somebody coming over to the team with a new idea and we could get it out in a matter of days the question about how long is this going to take sort of stopped being asked and i wonder whether sometimes we uh we don't step stop to think about what's the underlying question here. So the question on the surface is how long is that going to take? But actually, are you saying something else with that question? Well, I think when the question stops being asked, it's not because there's no estimation. 
It's because they can see the progress well, well enough that they can do the, their own estimates. They can see that this is, you know, this is a regular process. It's moving at this rate. And so they can project into the future. Um, you know, typically software development has been done, you know, it's this black hole where you can't know anything until you get to delivery and, oh, nothing works. You know, and that's not really good for uh, for being able to detect progress. It doesn't give you that situational awareness of, yeah, we've, we're getting valuable stuff. We've got something that, that's useful and we're adding to it at this rate. And we've got these things, well, maybe we, we want to do, maybe we won't, can't get them all done, but we can probably get a good chunk of those done. And that sort of thing lets people relax because they can see the progress and see what's going on. So it was pointed out to me one time that even if you refuse to estimate at the start of a project, you're not doing yourself any favors because they already have an estimate. They already think they know how long this should take. And you're just advocating your voice. And if somebody is trying to, you know, you mentioned earlier about getting the most out of people by, by putting them under pressure. If you've got, you know, a Simon Legree trying to, to eke out the last penny of, of value from software developers, they're going to do that whether you've got estimates or not. The estimates it's are not the problem. No, I, I guess estimates are not the problem, but what I'm still trying to get towards is whether estimates are the solution or a solution. Um, so my personal experience is that uh, estimates get mi misused on a regular basis and that the more they get misused, seemingly the more time you are encouraged to spend generating the next set of estimates. And it sort of, sort of becomes a self-fulfilling downward spiral where more and more time gets sunk into doing estimates, which then gain uh, gain that feeling of precision that you were or accuracy that you were talking about, and then they disappoint. It, it, you, you, I think you're beginning to hear. I, I, I'm somewhat jaded in the space of estimates. Um, We've all got scars. Yeah, that's probably exactly the right way to look at it. <laughs> yeah. But, but, and and so this is the thing. Long time ago. Um, uh, Bob Payne and I, we noticed, so this was uh, uh, 2008, 2009, we noticed that some teams we were working with were spending a lot of time estimating the next two weeks worth of work. Yeah. And they would spend four hours or more estimating two weeks worth of work. And uh, it didn't seem like they were getting that much value out of, out of those estimates. Um, and so we, we took the numbers we had from them and, and then we asked for other numbers from other people. And we went through and looked at that and said, well, if you just counted the stories, how would that predict how much work you were going to, could get done in the next two weeks? Mm -hmm. And with the teams we were working with, that was slightly more accurate. Just using a count of stories rather than, you know, trying to estimate how, how many points they were. And these were stories that ranged from half a point up to 20 points. And presumably it didn't take four hours to count them. No. So 
So yeah. were they able to get more done because they had another half day to work on valuable work? Well, we, we never convinced them of doing this, but we looked at this and and, and so we, we proposed it as a talk for the Agile Conference. And we didn't get in that year, but a couple of years later we did. And when we sat down to actually pull the talk together, then I realized that, oh yeah, for figuring out how much is going to go into the next two weeks, oh, that's easy. But that's not, how important is that? That's, you know, that's child's play, <laughs> you know. But there are needs for estimates that the business has. The business, I don't know of any business that can operate without um, looking ahead and, and forecasting the future. They always have needs to look ahead to help them make decisions of which way to go. So, so then the question becomes figuring out well, what are the real needs and how can we satisfy those needs with the least amount of effort and cost that we can. Well, yeah, assuming that those needs are valid and healthy. Well, so, you know, it's it's worth a conversation. What, I think as, you, as soon as you start saying, how can we satisfy that need, then you get into that very quickly. If the need is, oh, I just want to look good for, you know, so I get a bonus at the end of the year, um, then, yeah, there's lots of cases where individual managers may put their own benefit ahead of that of the organization. But when you start having conversations about it, that's kind of hard to, to defend. And the conversation tends to bring up other issues and make people start focusing on the greater needs. Okay, well, so we're, we're nearing time. I mean, this is a fascinating subject. We could, we could go on about this uh, all afternoon. Let's get practical, George. What are some advice you've got for teams, some kind of do's and don'ts? Some, so I, I know uh, your book isn't so prescriptive, but, but what advice have you got for teams about things to really avoid and things to, that, that they can do that will give them some benefit? Well, um, for themselves, to use estimates to, to test their assumptions. You know, you use these intermediate milestones. They don't even have to go outside the team necessarily. But it's like, you know, playing billiards. If you call your shots, you'll become a better billiard player. Certainly you'll be better than I am. You know, you'll get like James Grinning. <laughs> uh, but so you can use estimates yourself in order to uncover assumptions that you've made that are kind of baked in that aren't holding true. Uh, so that's one thing. The, the other thing about the book, the last chapter is really, it ended up being the last chapter rather than at the beginning, but it's, it's part of why I had to write the book is because it, it's a matter of working together with other people. And some people are difficult to work with. Some people are difficult for me to work with where it might be easy for you to work with them. So these people issues are, are really hard. And this is why it can't be a prescriptive book. But there are some techniques in there to help you understand other people. And one of the keys is to try to pay attention to the needs of the other person, which can be hard to figure out what they are, the needs of yourself, which you might be inclined to, to overlook sometimes, and the needs of the situation, of the context. 
and try to balance those. And that's a really tough thing to do. And it's a dynamic balance. You can't do it once and you're done. But if you step back and, and look at things in terms of that, it can help guide you into, you know, how you want to respond to things. You know, if someone is just, you know, if, if you've got someone saying, oh, give me estimates, I need estimates, I need estimates, you know, well, what is their need for estimates? But you also have to step up and not just say, oh, I'll give you whatever you want. You know, give, give, let me have another, sir. Um, you know, you have to, to attend to your own needs, too. And figuring out what your own needs are can be difficult. So these things aren't easy, but it's a tool that can help get you to a better place. That's interesting. I mean, essentially what we're saying is estimates are another, another form of communication. Right. And communication is hard. <laughs> communication is always hard. Well, that seems like a, a, a fairly, a fairly good point to, to thank you, George, for spending time with us today. Um, like Matt says, there's so much more that we could have talked about. It's, it's a strapping book. It comes in under the standard pragmatic programmers page count, which is always good. Um, but it's still got an awful lot in it and some great stories. So anyone who, uh, who hasn't yet been put off uh, learning more about estimates, I really strongly recommend you go out and read this book. Uh, Matt, do you have any closing words? No, I've got an observation, I think. I, I, so um, it's remind, this conversation, especially your point about um, needs, mutual needs, reminds me of an excellent book I read. Uh, I forget the name of the authors. It's called Thanks for the Feedback. And in that book, they talk about how there are three types of feedback. Um, and they can be, uh, let me see if I can remember them now. So you have evaluation, which is like, uh, maybe if you took a test or an exam, you know, you, yes, you, yes, you are good enough to be able to drive a car, right? Um, you have coaching, which is like, I think your driving could be improved if you would check the mirror before you, you signal. Um, uh, and then you have appreciation, which is just simply, you know, I see you, I, I, I appreciate uh, who you are and what you're trying to do. So there's these three different types of feedback. And the thing that they talk about in that book is, how important it is to be clear when you are asking for feedback or when you are giving feedback about which of the three types you are looking for or, or giving. Because if you're looking for coaching and somebody gives you appreciation, it's really frustrating, right? Because they're just telling you how nice you are and how great you are. And actually you really want something to work on, something to improve mm -hmm. and, and you haven't got anything. So it can be really like, you, you know, people can miss each other. And, it strikes me that maybe with estimation, we need a similar kind of taxonomy to help us to be clear about if you, if I'm asking you for an estimate or you're asking me for an estimate, I'm trying to give you an estimate. What kind of an estimate is this? Can we be clear about those, you know, underlying reasons, the needs, why, why we need that estimate and um, to help us to be more appropriate in how we go and do it. So we don't go off and um, pick over every, uh, two-hour task with a fine tooth comb and, and spend four hours in a room um, estimating it all. Maybe that would be helpful. There you go. Sorry, I've ended up having the last word, haven't I? Thanks, George. Thanks, George. It's been really nice to chat with you. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. 
thank you George thank you Seb thank you Theo on the on the um on the twiddly knobs uh remember listeners if you enjoyed this episode please comment and subscribe wherever you're listening to the podcast tell everyone tell all your friends um about how great this podcast is and we'll see you next time <laughs>